0: Hey, hey, remarkable people, this is Tracy Robbins, and you are listening to Thy Neighbor Podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you to expand your community, to connect more often with those who are in your path, and of course, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You will hear from individuals in my day-to-day life who are crushing it. And making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. Have a listen. Ali Douzette is a wife, mother, author of four books on emotional clearing and one on boundaries. She can detect underlying factors for emotions and create guided meditations to clear the emotion involved. What an amazing gift! She has a deep passion for pain and eradicating it while respecting everyone's boundaries. She successfully gave birth to three children from home without medication and has also experienced two medicated deliveries. She considers all of them a huge success. Ali, your most recent book is on boundaries. Will you tell us about how you got passionate about this topic?
1: So I am... A little bit crazy about boundaries for a bunch of reasons and one of the really key reasons is that pretty much almost all of our emotional pain comes from bad boundaries also bad boundaries are kind of the root of most of our real life problems as well and so whenever i'm working with somebody that has a problem when people have problems that they bring to me Just so many times, the root cause of their real issue is a boundary problem. And one of the big tricks with boundaries is that it's kind of a hot topic right now. Like, I think there's a lot of people talking about boundaries. And then there's kind of a lot of what I would say are like a little bit of weird applications of what people think boundaries are because they don't have a clear understanding of what they actually are. And so I think a lot of people know that they need good boundaries to be healthy and to be happy, but the actual practical application of what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? A lot of people can kind of struggle with that because they don't really understand what boundaries are, let alone how to have appropriate ones and then how to enforce them in an appropriate way.
0: How would you define boundaries?
1: How I would define a boundary is you know, I really go by stewardship and responsibility. And boundaries are kind of the invisible lines that separate all of us from each other. They separate you from me and me from my kids and me from my spouse. And when we have that strong sense of what is mine and what is not mine, that really is very powerful in this world. And honestly, I think it's it's part of agency. If you have agency and you don't have boundaries, that is not an appropriate use of agency. And our agency, right, is the ability to choose and make decisions for ourselves, right? But how many of us really wish that we could control how other people use their agency? This is what boundaries are all about. And I'll tell you, I have five kids. Um I have a 3-year-old, she is always always coloring on the walls. She is always coloring on the walls. It is just real. It's just what's happening every single day at my house. And so when, I mean, I wish I could control her not to do that. And I will admit that in the past, I have yelled about this and tried to be scary about this. I've tried to force her into getting the concept that you just don't color on walls, even though developmentally, this is a pretty appropriate behavior for a three-year-old. This is me, not having a good boundary. It is me trying to control somebody else using fear and manipulation, which is not appropriate. And it's just bad boundaries because it's not recognizing the reality. The reality is that at her developmental stage, guess what? Coloring on walls is kind of what she's supposed to do. It's kind of like her job. And my job is to let her do her job and to be kind about it, even though it is a problem and to teach her with love and kindness, how to. How it is a problem and how we clean up kindly. And my job is to not lose my mind about it. Right. And when I'm losing my mind about it, it's a bad boundary because I am trying to take responsibility for for something that's in her stewardship. I don't get to choose if she's going to color on my walls or not. All I get to choose is how I'm going to respond to that. And I think this is where some confusion about boundaries can come up because I see people's boundaries where it really kind of looks like they're trying to control somebody else's behavior. If you do that, then I'm going to do this, you know, and it's um a, a manipulation game when um, to me in reality, it's about taking a step back, tuning in with God and trying to get that divine perspective of you know what is the reality of this situation what is actually appropriate here you know what am i in charge of and what I am what am i not in charge of what can i control and what can't i control and so the thing is that we all have such complicated lives we all interact with a ton of different people we have all sorts of weird situations with our neighbors and people at church and our friends and our Enemies and our frenemies and our internet people that we interact with. We ha- we're interacting with a bajillion people every day in the modern world, and so understanding boundaries is more important than ever. And yet, I mean, I think the digital world has kind of really helped with this breakdown of a solid understanding of what is appropriate to say or to demand of other people. You know, what is appropriate? What are appropriate interactions? What do they really look like? And I think. Now it's more important than ever to really get God's perspective on all of our individual situations, because I can't just sit here and tell anybody how exactly what, like what exact boundaries they should have and how exactly to enforce them. I don't know that. I don't know your life. Guess who does? That would be God. And so you get to go to God in your own mind and heart and say, okay, this is the situation presenting itself. and. I think I needed a new boundary. Like, tell me, tell me what is my stewardship here and what is not my stewardship so that I can focus on my stewardship and allow the other person to focus on their stewardship as well.
0: So how have you figured out like the boundary with a three-year-old and an adult who's in your world? Do you see what I mean?
1: Yes, no, that is a good point, because guess what? I still hate it when she colors my wall. I'm still dealing with this in my own life. Mm -hmm. And so on a spiritual level, I'm asking God, you know, tell me what is the perspective that I have off here and how am I supposed to handle it for me? I actually have a strict rule. If I find a marker in my house, you better believe it is going into the trash. I don't care how new it is. I don't care if the cap is still on and it's still a functional marker. There's a marker. It is out. Goodbye. I have a zero tolerance. That's one of my boundaries now. No markers. You can you can color on my wall. I guess. Like, I don't like that. But guess what? If you do, markers are going goodbye forever. <laughs> but to me, it all comes down to, to stewardship and agency and this issue of control. And I pulled up this scripture. DNC 121, 39 through 46. And I think a lot of people are familiar with the scripture. Um, it's the one that says, we've learned by sad experience that it's the nature and disposition of almost all men. As soon as they get a little authority, as they suppose, they will immediately begin to exercise unrighteous dominion. And then it goes and talks about how we are supposed to be maintaining our power and influence by persuasion, long suffering, gentleness and meekness, love unfeigned kindness, pure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile, right? And it goes on. And I love at the very end where it says, if you act on all of these principles, you don't have to exercise unrighteous dominion. Your dominion shall be an everlasting dominion and without compulsory means it shall flow into thee forever and ever. And so I will be the first person to say, I'm not perfect at this. Okay. I still totally yell over and like, Tell my kid no more of this. I'm going to die. If you color my wall one more time, I'm going to die. But the eternal principle is here, right? This is a journey that we are all on. And I just want to be clear. I'm also on this journey, you know, but that's the thing about it is that we all have these really complicated situations. How are we going to figure out how do we draw that line between unrighteous dominion and trying to force other people to use their agency the way that we want? versus how instead can we use persuasion long suffering that's a big one for me i could be more long suffering and not lose my mind quite so much about this particular issue you know being kind about it when we start applying these kind of scriptural principles around boundaries and we we realize that trying to force people to be who we want them to be or to make choices that we want them to make, you know, we can as parents apply consequences and we can, um, you know, have rewards or punishments. Like we, we can parent how we feel like we want to parent. Right. Um, But this principle is, is also bigger than that because it really just comes down to agency and control. And where do we feel responsible for, other people. Well, one really good example of this is parents with spouses. I see a lot of this where wives will want to take responsibility for their husband's addiction. And they don't always think about it that way. They don't often realize that that is what is happening. They don't even have the boundary in place to recognize it. But what happens is their husband does something And the wife says, oh, it must be my fault. I must not be good enough. Oh, well, if I just do this and that, and if I just do this other thing, then my husband will change his ways. And what are those things that this wife is thinking that she can do that will control her husband's behavior? Right, well, it might be something nice if I'm just nicer to him, if I just change myself. Or she might think, if I just yell, scream, carry on, then it will change their behavior, right? This is just a very common example of bad boundaries where, because the the thing that's going on here is that the wife is not responsible for her husband's behavior. No one is responsible for somebody else's behavior. Like no matter how horrible one person is to another person, even then they're not responsible for the other person's reaction to that. And so a quick story about this, there was something wrong in this relationship. And I was like, I had to have a conversation with this person, but I told God, I'm not going to bring it up. I can't, like, I am not willing to bring up this issue. So you're going to have to bring it up. God, like you have to take care of this and resolve this issue for me. So it happens. Some like weirdo on the internet takes a screenshot of a comment that I left many moons ago about this issue, about this person takes a screenshot and basically doxes this person, takes the screenshot and, and copies and pastes it all over their internet presence. And they're like, oh, guess what Allie thinks about you? And they're like, it was crazy. It was crazy. Unfortunately, it, it was a pretty good comment where I was just like, Ah, oh, this person is so great and I love them so much, but I have this one qualm. And so it was like, it was it was not a terrible thing all things considered, but guess what? It did serve the divine purpose of opening up a conversation that I told God I would not bring up. In this miraculous thing, this weirdo from the internet tried to ruin my life, and what ended up happening was I was able to have the conversation that needed to be had. My true feelings were on display for this other person, but Why I bring that up is because the person who did all that doxing and like copied and pasted this comment everywhere, trying to shame me, I never felt bad about that. I have been so grateful for that person and to that person. They came at that. I don't want to assign them a motivation. I don't know what was really going on for them. Clearly, they kind of had it out for me, though, but they could have it out for me and I don't have to be angry about that. I'm grateful. They solved a problem for me they were an answer to my prayers. They thought they were being mean to me and they were answering my prayers, you know? And that's exactly the thing. When it comes to taking responsibility for other people's emotions, if I had gotten angry about this, I could have blamed her and said, well, it's her fault. This person, this crazy person on the internet made me so mad, but that's not it at all, right? I have the control over my own emotions. That's my stewardship. And other people can throw rocks at my space and I get to choose, am I going to be upset about that or not? And that's my choice. And it feels like it's not our choice a lot of times, right? Because we get these triggers, we lose our minds, we're going crazy, and we're, we're stuck in this space of blame. When we get in that blame space, it's because of boundaries. It's because we have not fully internalized this reality. The reality that actually, no, the law of agency means I'm in charge of me. I get to choose and it is a big mindset shift. We have to kind of go all the way down to our innermost root where we have this confusion. And I mean, to me, I think it's important to involve God in that process and just say, you know, God, help me figure it out. What is mine and what is not mine? I'm not happy about this situation with this person or that person. I wish they would change. And I've been trying to control them. By being passive aggressive or being just plain aggressive or, you know, these different ways that I've been trying to handle it. And that's not respecting their agency. And it's a misuse of my agency. So God, you're going to have to tell me why am I doing this? Help me figure out what is going on under the surface in my own self so that I can resolve it. And how am I supposed to do better? We have to be asking these questions and start thinking in a new way. And I I do think it's kind of a lifelong process because one of the major reasons, if not the major reason that we're here on this planet is to master agency. So it doesn't make sense that this would be like an easy, obvious journey, right? Like we're going to have to do a little bit of digging and that's, that's good. It's important. That's why we're here. So we get to turn to God and use him as a partner, ask the right questions. If we don't know what to ask, we can just say, God. Tell me what questions to ask. What questions should I ask to find clarity about my boundaries so that I can stop feeling responsible for my spouse's addiction or my kid's problems that that my kid is in rehab for? You know, how can I stop feeling bad about it, allow them to experience the consequences of their agency, and find peace in focusing on the consequences of my agency?
0: Yeah, that. I was going to ask you the question of, like, well, how do you manage your triggers? And I feel like you just answered that question regarding you talk to God about, okay, this is happening right now in this situation, and I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling hurt and it's showing up as anger <laughs> or whatever it may be. And now, how am I going to proceed as a result? Have you found any things that have helped you to interfere those triggers? Like when those things happen. I mean, just getting out of the like fight or flight kind of thing. What have what have you done to try to help yourself in those situations?
1: Well, I mean, I'll just be real with you. I am not perfect, so just to be clear, still a work in progress over here. But for me, when I catch myself, because I know we all have this experience where we something happens and it's too late. Like we're already down the road, and we're like oh my gosh, I became a monster by surprise. What happened? Um, But if you can catch yourself, like as soon as I start noticing, you have to turn inward and focus on what feelings you're experiencing in your physical body. And are you breathing? That's really the number one thing. Are you breathing? Are you breathing deeply enough? Um, And I love what President Nelson said about the word repentance. It comes from the Greek word metanoia, and it means to breathe differently. Okay. And I also love this quote that says, fear is just excitement without the breath. Okay. Our entire lives are nothing but breath. Your life is defined by how many breaths you are taking. And when you are done, that is it. We start our life here with the breath of life. And that's how Adam started it all off in the garden of Eden. And I feel like You can start to notice when you're being triggered because your breathing will get more shallow. You're going to stop breathing. And that is the first thing you've got to tune back in and say, wait, I'm not breathing. And take that really big breath and slow your breathing down and tune into your own body, into your own lungs. I mean, I mean this in a literal way. You kind of have to step back and you might close your eyes or leave them open, but feel the feeling of breathing in your own lungs. Like feel the feeling of the blood in your veins going through your body and see how it's reacting to this situation. It's your body trying to help you. Our bodies are tools to help us figure out basically what we need to repent of. In my opinion, there are bodies are our messengers and they're telling us something is happening that is not right and it's freaking me out. So let's take care of this. And so this is kind of a, a, you know, when our boundaries, when we don't have appropriate boundaries or when our appropriate boundaries are being violated, we're going to have a physical body reaction. Tuning into it can sometimes help us take control of it. And sometimes, um, I mean, I'm sure we've all heard like when you're angry, count to 10. There you go. That's like a pretty like time-honored tradition for, you know, getting out of the trigger space. And sometimes we don't have time to count to 10 before we've already lost our minds and we have to choose into it. But again, that's where we can say, okay, you know, God, how can I extend this reaction time a little bit more? God, can you help me recognize before I lose my mind that something is wrong? And can you help me breathe out of it? can you help me tune into myself so that I can snap out of it before it's too late? And I'm just a really big fan of asking God really specific questions. And when we don't know what to ask, just say like, God, what super specific question do I need to ask you for help with so that I can snap out of this and change my life?
0: How many times does he answer that for you? Like specifically? I don't feel like I've experienced when I ask for him, like to ask for the question that has been hard for me to receive an actual question back. Like, this is what you should be asking me. But maybe I do come across a question somebody else presents. Oh, that's a question I can ask God.
1: Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that question. I mean, I think that how we're going to hear the voice of God is different person to person, and it's just a matter of practice. So for me, when I ask I really literally do. I basically hear the words in my mind pretty much all the time, but we all perceive spiritual things differently. I love that you ask the question and then you don't necessarily hear words, but then like somebody else might say the question or like, you're going to come across it in a book and be like, oh, there it is. Like God works with how our own individual brains work to give us these answers, right? Which I just love. But the other thing that I would say about that is to ask for practice. Cause this is something that I did um, about like eight to 10 years ago. This is something that I did all the time. And now I always recommend it to people, but ask God for practice listening. And I always say in a way that I understand, like God, give me an answer in a way that I obviously understand. I'm like, make it so obvious. I cannot miss it. Okay. God, like you needs blinking neon lights, please. Yes. I'm very specific about this, but I love asking God for practice where, where we just say, you know, God, I recognize that I'm not good at hearing your answers. Can you just give me something low stakes and easy to practice with? Can I practice hearing the spirit? You know, it's not going to be a big deal if I misinterpret or if I don't do it, but God, like, can you, can we work together and make a training program? And I feel like obviously God is into that. He's like, uh-huh. Yes. Like waited like way, why did it take you so long? Like, yes, of course, let's make a p- training program specific to you. God is all over that, you know, so we need to ask for it. He's just sitting there waiting for us to use our agency to ask for it. Right.
0: Oh, I love that so much. And that reminds me of the victory. E. Frankel quote it says between stimulus and response, there is a space in that space is our power to choose our response in our response lies our growth and our freedom.
1: Yes, that's it exactly. We get to train our minds to notice that space. We have to, it's a new way of thinking because all of a sudden, well, it's boundaries. We're taking responsibility for our own reactions instead of trying to foist responsibility for our feelings and our reactions on other people, right? As soon as we say, oh wait, no, it really is all me. No one can make me feel bad. No one can make me do something. I am the one that's choosing that. So now I get to be conscious
0: about what am I choosing? For me personally, I have, I'm sure you're familiar and I bet you are, but an empath, right? This phrase of being an empath, right? Where we can feel other people's emotions when we're in a space or we're connected in some way to other people and an empathy, right? When we feel other people's emotions or whatever it might be. But this empath thing has been a problem for me because I've walked into spaces and I am suddenly like, what just happened? Because I was completely fine. And then I came into church, for example, I went to church. And when I was in the single adult ward, I would go in and there were times where I would literally feel depressed. Like I could feel a depressed energy when I walked inside. And then I would be checking in like, God, why do I suddenly feel terrible? And so is that a boundary? Like, how do I create a boundary in that situation where I'm like, I know this actually isn't me. I feel like I'm tapping into other people's feelings around me. How do I regather my energy and not take everybody else's?
1: I love this question so much. (gasps) I'm so glad you brought it up. So many people I work with are empaths, and they're always surprised to hear that I don't identify as an empath. I work with people's emotions all day, and I don't feel like I take them on. I can notice what people are feeling without having to feel it myself. And I feel like the strength of that is boundaries. I don't think being an empath is... This might sound horrible. I don't think it's a gift. I think it's just a need for better energetic and spiritual boundaries. So one of my favorite visualizations for this is just a hula hoop. Okay. And so you just close your eyes and you imagine God like puts this hula hoop around you. Right. And so it creates kind of like this tube of light around you. And when other people have feelings that you would normally pick up on, it just kind of like bounces off the edge of the hula hoop. When you have big feelings they don't get shoved off on other people either. You know, it stays contained in the hoop. It's your boundary, but there's lots of visualizations that we can do. I really feel like, you know, everybody is unique. We all can go to God directly and just say, God, you know what? I'm sick of feeling other people's emotions now. So, you know, teach me, you know, how am I going to make something unique for me? that protects me. But I think that one of the most important things here is being specific. I personally believe that God loves specific prayer. And so if you sit there and just say, oh God, help me stop feeling other people's emotions. That's not quite as specific as perhaps you might want it to be. And so sitting down and really being thoughtful and conscious about what are the problems here? What am I really experiencing? And what would I rather Choose? Like, what would I rather have? I mean, for me, I do consciously have that boundary up where I don't want to feel everybody's emotions. I work with hundreds of people. I just want to know what they're going through without having to feel it. And that's a boundary that you can set. I want to stay empathetic in the sense of being able to feel this like loving sympathy for people. I want to be able to. Get the gist of where they're coming from on a mental level, but I just don't want to carry their grief. I don't want to carry their irritation, their anxiety, their depression. I don't want to carry that for them. And that is a really important concept to me because, and I think there's a lot of confusion, especially in religious circles, because we're told to mourn with those that mourn. And so there can be this kind of sense of nobility when we have bad boundaries and we're just like slurping off other people's negative stuff. And it's like, I'm serving them. I I started to consciously do this for one of my loved ones. They were going through a hard time. And I just said, you know, God, can you just siphon that person's feelings to myself so that they don't have to feel so bad? And I was doing this on purpose and I didn't feel great, but, you know, it it didn't last too long because eventually God was just like, Allie people have to feel their own feelings. You know, this is what motivates people to change. If they don't see, and this is not completely true and I'll address that in a minute, but for most people, if they do not hit rock bottom, they don't change. And that's part of the earth experience. The earth experience, we can all agree. Part of it is like super lame guys, right? We have all been through like thumbs down experiences that we do not like, but We go through them. Why? So that we can get to that point where we say, oh, my gosh, it hurts more to stay in this place than it would hurt to turn to God. So fine. I will turn to God now. Right. We have to suffer if that's the paradigm that we're choosing into to make us turn to God. And I I don't think that has to be true at all. And I want to mention that as well. When I was probably about 12 years old. I had this I had this thought about this and I thought, you know, if if we have our trials so that we can learn our these lessons that God wants us to learn or something like that. I just said, you know, heavenly father, could I just learn my lessons through scripture study instead? Could I turn to you and say, God, you know, I would rather just study my scriptures really hard for an hour with you and learn my lesson this way? break my leg or go through these horrible experiences? Like, can I just skip out on the car accident and just spend an extra hour and learn the lesson without the suffering? And so I think we kind of get to choose into two options, but the option of asking God proactively to teach us before it becomes a problem that requires consciousness. And most of us are not in that conscious space. And so we do need to hurt because that is such a, powerful, motivating force. And so for me, in that situation I referred to earlier, where I was kind of like thinking, oh, I'll just take on this person's sad feelings and maybe they won't feel so sad. I felt like God said, no, like that person has to feel sad. It's going to break your heart. You, you're going to cry because you feel so bad for them and how bad they're hurting, but they have to hurt. They have to hurt. It is part of their mission. They need to hurt until they choose to change. And if you, speaking to me, like if you ally do that, if you don't let that person, you know, go through their experience, like if you try to lighten the load by softening the blow, it's just going to extend the inevitable, like it, it it can actually be kind to have these good boundaries. We can mourn with those that mourn. Like I can cry about this person that's not choosing to change without Taking responsibility for it, trying to make them change, you know, feeling resentful about it, getting angry at God about it. There's a healthy way to acknowledge the pain of others without taking it on ourselves and also without being bitter
0: about it. Did you start to do the scripture thing and did that work for you? Do you feel like the Lord was able to teach you through your scriptures versus through pain? I honestly think he did. I mean, not to say that I
1: like never experienced pain or something like that, because that definitely is, I do, you know, but, but I feel like overall, my overall life since that time has been like pretty positive. And because I tune in with God all the time. So I'll just say when I, when I was about that age, I realized that commandment of like pray always. Right. And I just thought, oh my gosh, how do you pray always like, wow, that is really something. And um, it occurred to me that all day long, I'm just like talking to myself in my mind. And I was like, oh, duh, it's so easy. I just have to talk to God instead. So instead of me complaining to myself about my math homework, I'm like, oh, Heavenly Father's math homework is the worst, you know? And so I feel like God and me are like best friends, you know? I just tell him everything all day long in my head. And that's how it has been forever. But because of that, and because I'm asking these questions, I'm saying, you know, Heavenly Father, will you give me a warning before something terrible happens? Like, Heavenly Father, would you help me out? Like, if, I, if I'm if i listening to you, like, can you just help me avoid situations that would cause big trauma in my life, you know? I, God wants to answer our prayers, so why don't we pray like that? And for me, I feel like that's been, like, a very obvious, not necessarily not very obvious, but it's a logical step to make, you know, a few steps of logic down the line. And I really do feel like there have been a lot of times in my life where I have, um, you know, felt the hand of God kind of like stop, stop different situations or like where I felt like God talked to me and just said, Allie, you have to repent now. And I have definitely had that experience where I have like thought about making these big decisions and God being like, Oh, ho, ho, like you think you've got the whole picture, Allie, but guess what? You don't. You have problems. You need to repent. And I have really been surprised at the kinds of things that sometimes God is asking me to change because I don't think they're a big deal. That's not in the 10 commandments, you know? But sometimes to live in harmony with divine principles, we're going to have to change things that we don't expect to have to change. And when we're proactive about it, like this is all that it is, it's being proactive about seeking God's advice on all of these things instead of being reactive because i think a lot of us it's very easy to live in this reactive state where life is just happening to us instead of realizing we're here to exercise agency we can we actually might be able to choose a little bit more than we thought we did what if you can choose and say god i'm choosing now to do to do this proactively instead of reactively i'm choosing now to listen first and not when my life has fallen apart i want to do it before instead of after.
0: Yeah, that's super powerful. And it makes a huge difference for us to actually heed the promptings of the spirit and to listen. And uh, And of course, I think there is that part of me that wonders for you and for myself and for others who maybe can relate to this, but because you were constantly conversing with Heavenly Father, um, did you feel like you were able to connect as well with Christ? I know that we pray to the Father through Christ, but have you ever felt like your connection has been stronger to to Heavenly Father than it has been to Jesus?
1: I love that question. No one has ever asked me that before, but I'll just tell you my secret. I love the power of visualization and like meditation. And I love to visualize myself hanging out with Jesus. I love that. And I feel like we're also best friends. And I want like one of my favorite kind of exercises is, um, you know, if I'm having trouble with somebody in my life and I don't know how to handle it, I'll imagine that other person sitting at a table with me. And I'll imagine Jesus there with the two of us. And then I'll imagine this conversation between the three of us where Jesus can act as that mediator, which is his whole point, right? Like he is the mediator with a capital M. And um, and I love that. It's not a prayer, but it's me hanging out with Jesus in my mind and like getting some clarity on the situation. And I mean, I also love this visualization. It's a little unorthodox, but it really is so beautiful if, if anybody ever tries it where you can just go in your mind and imagine yourself with Jesus and ask him for a present. And I like, feel like I might cry about it in this moment, like, calm down, Allie, but it's so beautiful. And if you try it, just see what kind of present that you imagine that Jesus gives you and see how it just ties your heart to his heart. And you realize like, oh my gosh, Jesus just loves me so much. And he just wants to give me every present. He just loves it. He delights to give me presents. Jesus loves for us to be happy. He loves for us to connect with him. And we can't connect with him in our bodies because he is not here in his body. He doesn't live in your neighborhood and come over and bring you cookies and want to hang out, but he's there in spirit. And so we have to connect spirit to spirit. We have to do it with the faculties of our spirit, which is our mind. You know, we have to use our mind's eye. We have to use our spiritual ability to create. I love this. Doctrine and Covenants 124.99. This is talking about William Law, who he has no guile. And so he's going to receive of the spirit and the comforter, which shall, um, you know, manifest the truth to him and everything like that. And it says and he shall be led in paths where the poisonous serpent cannot lay hold upon his heel and he shall mount up in the imagination of his thoughts as upon eagle's wings okay that's dnc 12499 how did spirits see before we had eyeballs with our imagination it literally means the part of our brain that creates images right if you don't have eyeballs if you don't have ears how do you perceive a spirit has to perceive through their spiritual ears and through their spiritual eyes. And this is the default setting of humanity. This is that that's how we have heard and seen for all of eternity. And the these eyeballs and ears that we have here, that's the new thing. That's the weird stuff. Okay. Seeing and connecting with the divine with our own thoughts and our imaginations, like it says here in the scripture, that's the default setting. That is the way that We can do that, even though, you know, Jesus can't come here and give me a hug with his like real life arms, but he can, as it mentioned in the scriptures, 124.99, Doctrine and Covenants, when I rise up in the imagination of my thoughts as upon eagles' wings.
0: That is so great. I would have never found that scripture, I feel like, without you sharing that. So that is so beautiful. For me, the visualization of Jesus and God is super challenging, finding an image that feels good to me has been difficult. And so I'm curious, how can we strengthen our imagination?
1: I also love that. And I get this a lot because I work in like guided imagery and like guided meditation. Right. And so a lot of people have this problem and the secret is I also have this problem. I'm not a natural like imagery person. And when I close my eyes and imagine quote unquote imagery it's not like I can see it like you can just see what's next to you in your room or something for me it's more like thinking I'm thinking about the concept of Jesus giving me a present and I'm just thinking about it like really hard and I'm feeling kind of marrying those thoughts and those feelings to me that is imagination because I'm not one of those really visual people and I I feel like an artist is probably going to be a really visual person maybe And a lot of us just aren't. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you can't get anything out of this experience. You're going to change your definition. You're going to realize you don't have to know what they look like. What you have to do is think about what would they look like? I don't know, but I'll just think about this idea of Jesus coming and bringing me a present. How does that make me feel? Like, how do I feel when I think about the idea of Jesus being with me and holding me even though he can't give me a hug in real life? How do I feel when I sit down with Jesus in my mind and I'm just thinking about the concept of sitting down with Jesus in my mind and imagining it, not necessarily a picture, but kind of more entangling with the concept? Does that make sense? It's more conceptual and less like that you could go and paint a photographic image of the picture in your mind.
0: I'm going to go back to the intro when you said that you have a gift for creating guided meditations to resolve emotions for people. And how did you ever bring out this gift?
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, that's like quite a story. I'll just say that, you know, my degree is in soil chemistry. And I've always been really religious. And I definitely never thought that anything like this was possible. But I was a primary caregiver for my brother while he was dying. And during his kind of dying process and the veil is like kind of thin and everything. And I was kind of taking up breath work. I had realized that I was always really tense. And I was like, I have to take deeper breaths so I can relax myself. And I had no idea that breathe a really deep breath creates neuropeptides that start breaking down your old emotions. Just taking deeper breaths can totally shift you emotionally. So I didn't realize what was going on. And at the same time, this was one of those times where God was like, Uh, And Allie, like you've really got some, some like little minor stuff that you got to change post haste, like get your act together, you know, in all these like little ways where I'm like, that's not a 10 commandment. Why are you making me do this? But I felt like I was going on this repentance process. My brother was dying and then I was doing this breath work. And I, it sounds crazy, but I literally woke up one day and was able to see people's emotions. I could just see them. And um, they would look like, kind of like black mist over a person. And I could just see it and I don't feel it because I'm not and I feel like I do. I have good boundaries and it's something that I have worked on for my whole life. I think like I've always realized like I need to understand whose stewardship is what, like whose emotions are what. And I've cared about that since I was a kid. And so, but I would see it and be like, oh my gosh, like what is happening? And so I, you know, I'm religious obviously. So I'm like, Heavenly father, what the heck? Like this doesn't make, no one taught me this in chemistry, you know, like what the heck man? And as I prayed about it, I kind of, you know, figured out how to use it and how to use respecting people's boundaries. So at this point I actually keep that, you know, if you call it an ability, I think everybody has that ability because I do think that kind of perception is our default setting. I th- That's our normal state as spirits. And it's just that we get distracted by the stuff we're experiencing in our body. So I think everybody can do this. I just think I happened to kind of accidentally or something kind of like busted open by accident one day. But I think anybody can do that. But I, I keep it turned off. So I'm like not going around looking at people's feelings or something. But in the context of my, you know, I've done a lot of one on one stuff. And what I realized was people have the same problem. Not I mean, everybody's Problems are a little bit different, but actually also, no, they're also not. We all want to feel really special and we all are very special, but also we share many characteristics with all the other people that have been through the same thing as us. And so what I started to do was kind of work with... And I won't give myself all the credit for this because I feel like it's been a line upon line, precept upon precept sort of thing where I've had to say, okay, how do I work with this in an effective way? Like, how can I help as many people as possible as quickly as possible? Because I think time is short, no matter how short or far you think it is. Like the scriptures are clear that time is short. Of course, they've been saying that for a couple thousand years. So you never know. But for the thing is that time feels short for us in our mortal bodies where we're carrying heavy burdens, heavy, heavy emotional burdens. We're carrying depression and anxiety and so much stress and grief and um, irritation and frustration and anger. We carry these burdens. And maybe time doesn't have to be short on like a global level and like second coming type of level. The time is short because guess what? You're suffering now. And like that adds a level of urgency right now. And it doesn't, doesn't even matter how long or short away anything is. And so I just, I've, it has been my passion to figure out how can I help as many people as possible clear this stuff since I can see it, which is something that a lot of people can't, I think they can do, but they don't do it. (laughs) Most people don't, they can, and they just don't. And so for me, I, what I started doing is kind of working with archetypal energy. So I will pull up a symbolic image that represents all of the grief that a person is going through but not just one person but like all of the people that will ever work through this one hour long module let's pull up a symbolic image that represents the grief that they're going to work that they're going to work through during this module and then i just ask what exact steps do we have to do to work with this and then take them down and just guide people through it and so it's a very intuitive process and the thing is, if it sounds simple, um, the secret is it's like super simple, guys, like you should do it. Everyone should do it. Everyone should be asking, God, what are my tough feelings and how am I going to work through them and start practicing listening? And I feel like I have practiced quite a bit. And so for me, it's very easy to do this. And so I have this library of um, by donation guided meditation modules where you go and pay what you can and just go and listen to this thing that I've created based on symbolic imagery that represents kind of the archetype of these different emotions Um, And maybe it won't cover every single thing for every single person, but it's going to cover the bulk of the thing for most of the people. And that is my real goal. How can I help, you know, most people make a big shift? Maybe it's not going to clean up every last little trace of it, but it will start the process so that they can clean up the edges instead of sitting there drowning in their own emotions and not knowing how do I get out of this? When you're sitting there drowning under these boulders of your own emotions, how do you get out of that? So that is really my passion is helping people go from that space to clearing out the boulders so they can sweep away the pebbles that are left behind and start making massive strides. Um, Because to me, it really is just so urgent. So many people are suffering, but there are answers. No matter what the real urgency is here, it's urgent for us as individuals because we suffer. And to me, pain is just the greatest urgency that there is. When I think about pain... I mean, I think about it every day because every day I just think about Jesus and I think about, I mean, that, that has been one of the big motivating factors for my life is Jesus, how can I reduce some pain for you today? And I really feel like I have that perspective, whatever I can do to lessen that load of emotional pain for somebody. I love people. People are so great. They're so great, but actually I am really doing it because when you help a person, you're not just helping that person. Anytime that you're serving somebody and lifting their load, you are actively blessing and serving Jesus on that cross. You are making the burden a little bit lighter for him too. And that is
0: just what I love about it. Oh, I'm so grateful that you have uh, a meaning in your mission and you are moving forward with blazing paths. I and Blazing Paths in this. I, I looked over your content on your website and I was like, this woman has created a lot. <laughs> um, and I, way, I'm like, wow, like what motivates her to just create so much? How has she gotten herself to just take such massive action when so many of us don't?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for me that, I mean, I'm just obsessed. (laughs) And I think, I think that really is it. Cause a lot of people ask me that, cause I get a lot done and I try to add new things to my library at least weekly. And sometimes I'll be adding like three or four things in a week, but it is pretty much all that I think about. I mean, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, okay, I have an email list and these people on my email list, I'm obsessed with them. (gasps) I like dream of them. I love them. I can't, they're in my mind all the time. I'm always thinking about them. My husband can verify. I love my kids and I love him. And I love my email list. And I'm like, I got to help them today. Like, what does my email list need? And I like pray about them. And I'm like, heavenly father, you know, what does my list need today? And so, you know, I'm sending out like little emotional shifting scripts or like little EFT tapping instructions or like this kind of thing. Um, But I I mean, I know I have a lot of, you know, peers that they see how productive I am. They're like, how can I do that? Well, the answer is just be obsessed. You know, think about it when you're brushing your teeth and also at all times of the day, don't watch TV, only parent and do that. And that's how you do it. (laughs) You don't do anything else. That's what I do. I do nothing else.
0: At least we know your secret now. Be (laughs) upset. It's true. It's not very applicable for many people, but
1: (laughs) not very realistic, perhaps. But for me, it's very realistic. It's all that I think about. And so it just comes very easily because I wouldn't say easily. I've had to work at it because I did have this moment a little while recently where I felt like God just told me, like, you got to focus, like you got to focus You have one job, you know, I have a lot of passions that I care about, but I feel like God was like, nope, you know, stop reading articles about this. Stop reading the news. Like, stop doing this. You have one job. Your job is reduce some pain for people as fast as you can and just get the job done. So I'm like, okay, I guess I will do that. But that basically means that's all I do.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for doing it. That's so wonderful that he can trust you. Um... (laughs) and how do good boundaries create strength in communities oh
1: yes i think that boundaries so so we know like in the church we 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 have this concept right that you know the family is the ultimate building block of civilization right and the first place that we're going to apply boundaries is in our own homes and um, allowing everybody in the family to take responsibility for what is their responsibility and allowing them to not take responsibility for their responsibility too. And one example of this that I'm thinking of is um, this person that I know where their kid kind of slacked off in high school all the time. And then like, this was totally in character for this kid. They forgot to apply for college. Don't worry, the mom applied for them. Is that good boundaries, right? No, no, no. And it's kind of setting up this kid for disaster. In my opinion, if he can't figure it out to apply for college, does he belong in college? Like, uh, you know, maybe we need to let people experience what it feels like to fail as well. Um, and um, so anyways, we, we start applying our boundaries in our families, and that's the primary place where we where we need to do it. But then also in our communities, you know, letting people be in charge of what ever they're in charge of and us not trying to usurp their responsibility and, and allowing them to fail. And I, I always feel like we need to let them fail with grace. We can't be bitter about it. You know, I see this a lot in marriage where, um, I don't know, husbands are so great. And some of them, you know, really struggle to like do the things that must be done, you know, as far as like an example would be like taking out the trash or something and remembering to do it in a timely manner. And so, um this is just an easy example of boundaries where um a wife can nag and a wife can you know try and control the husband to like do this job um or she can let him you know do it or not do it and just allow the trash to pile up until he gets his act together right and uh, but allow him to experience his own stewardship without her interference and um And then the trick is we have to do it with grace so that wife can't be bitter about it and she can't be angry about it. She has to say, you know what, I love you. And, um, you know, this giant pile of trash, you know, it's your job. Um, You know, I don't love it, but I do love you. And you're in charge of doing your job. Like my son that's not applying for college, like I love you, but I'm not going to apply for college for you, but I'm not angry at you, but you know, that's your job. When we have these strong boundaries on a family level, we can have a strong boundary in the, in a community level. And when, if everybody in the whole world had really strong boundaries, I think what it would look like is everybody taking responsibility for themselves and allowing other people to do their thing without judging them and without being angry about it or bitter about it, trying to control them or, um, you know, a, a, any of that, basically everybody would be using their agency in an appropriate way. And um, geez, it would be so great, which is how, you know, it won't happen <laughs> in, in the millennium, we will all have excellent boundaries. And until then we get what we get. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what invitation would you extend to my audience regarding what they can do to strengthen their boundaries and have healthier boundaries in their lives.
1: Yes. So I would just invite everybody to, to just choose into being conscious about this and choose into making God your partner on this. God wants you to have great boundaries. God has great boundaries, right? God doesn't control you. You do all sorts of weird stuff. And God's sitting there like, are you serious? Like, are you for real? Are you doing this for real? He just takes it. He just handles it. And he just loves us anyway. He has excellent boundaries. He lets us mess up. He lets us, you know, do our thing even when he disagrees and he just loves us anyway. We can take a page from God's book and you can just say, God, I want to have better boundaries. I want to have boundaries more like you, like God teach me, you know, what is one way that I can have a new perspective on boundaries today? you know, and we can just ask God for that tutelage, ask God for a personal tutor, say, God, can you send me a guardian angel whose only job is to be there and like influence me to have better boundaries? Duh, God's all over that. Like, you better believe he wants that for you. Like, yeah, you are entitled to divine tutelage. You can have a tutor. You can go sit down with God in your mind and have that visualization and say, okay, I'm here to take notes. You can write a letter and say, you know, dear heavenly father, I am the worst at boundaries. Uh, What should I change about myself? Or like, tell me what to do. Tell me one simple thing. What is one tiny thing? And then you can just skip a line and write out the answer that you sense in your mind and start from there. But my big invitation is to just choose one of those things that resonates with you and just take that first little step to establishing better boundaries.
0: And is there anything that I've missed? I feel like there's a lot we could still talk about, but is there anything that I've missed that you want to share with my audience?
1: Oh. Me. Man, let me let me think for just a tiny minute. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think one thing that that we could say comes back to this concept of um that subconscious mind and how we can react without thinking and where that can be a real struggle with our boundaries because we react first and then we're like dang it like I wasn't supposed to make that mistake again and we've all had that where we've we've said I'll never do that again and then like 5 minutes later we're like doing it again we're like no but I just I just said I would never do it again what's wrong with me and what's wrong with you well it's like your subconscious mind right um the part of your brain that's just a little bit deeper than what's right on the surface. And that part of our brain is a big computer that's storing a lot of information. And if I can be, um, you know, we'll take a little step back. Okay. We're going to do a logic exercise. Okay. So um, scripturally speaking, you know, we have all existed before this life. Right. Um, And there was one child of God who is totally perfect. Does anybody know who it is? Oh, it's Jesus, right? So how many were not perfect? Um, That would be literally everyone else. Okay, so step one, we're all not perfect, and also we've existed for eternity before we came here and had bodies. Okay, what happens when a bunch of imperfect people hang out for a million years? Well, what happens when they hang out in real life here for a a couple weeks or maybe an hour well they get offended they get angry they get ticked off okay they are having fights right and they're having conversations and they're making friends and you know we basically this idea that before we were born we had this whole rich life and now we're here why are we here on this earth we're here because we weren't perfect and we have to learn how to be perfect right so we're coming here with the challenges that we had before we were born um so that we can resolve them so that we can be perfect right and so to me all of that is to say to me I think the subconscious mind is kind of like the veil you know like it's all this stuff all the junk all the weird belief programming and like these weird experiences that we had before we were born we got when we got our body we forgot those experiences but we still have our subconscious mind that's like still ticked off about something and it's still like in this rut of whatever it was stuck in before we were born. And now we're here to hopefully make that stuff conscious. We're taking the subconscious and making it conscious. And we don't have to remember all the stories and all the weird stuff that happened before. Now we can just deal with the scientific hypothesis where we believed that the world was a certain way. And now we get we get to see what, what does it look like when I live a life according to those thought processes you know, um, how do, how does life look when I'm living, you know, according to these beliefs, right. And one of our big things that we have to repent of is our false beliefs. And, um, you know, these things that we believe that just are not true. And, um, so I feel like a lot of my own work with boundaries is just helping people realize, you know, where in their subconscious mind, are these false beliefs that are making it hard for them to have boundaries and exercise their agency in an appropriate way. And so for one, just quick example of that, it would be, um, for example, if you had this subconscious belief that, um, you know, that you are responsible for how other people feel, you know, that's a big one. Pretty much everybody has that. We all kind of, you know, we, we notice, we say something mean, somebody feels bad. And we're like, oh, that was my fault, you know, completely ignoring their agency. And like, of course we shouldn't be mean. That's not an appropriate use of agency either, but, um, but we see these things and it creates this thing that just says, it's my fault when, when people feel bad, like I'm responsible for how other people feel. And until we get to that tap root that belief that's underlying it, it's hard to establish a permanent boundary and a healthy boundary until we really come to terms with this idea that actually, no, like, I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible for how you feel. Like I'm responsible for how I feel. And so digging into um, what I would just call that like subconscious beliefs, which I kind of think are a remnant. It's something that we brought with us that we're here expressly to resolve, you know, digging into that um, can kind of pave the way to make it easy to establish boundaries. Like whenever we are really struggling with establishing boundaries, I feel like it's because we're coming up with subconscious resistance that you know whatever belief is going on in there is just saying no it's wrong to it's wrong to establish a boundary it's wrong to make my child take responsibility for his own decisions you know i don't want to see other people suffer because of their own actions you know i want to cut the link between choice and consequences right whenever we start getting into that space on a subconscious level we don't, might not be consciously thinking that thought but it will in my opinion a lot of times it takes going to that root and saying oh my gosh this whole time my whole life i walked through life wishing that i could separate choices and consequences and i can't cuz that is antithetical to the existence of reality so like oh now i'm going to decide to be okay with choices leading to consequences and i can accept it for myself and i can accept it for other people bam and all of a sudden it's so much easier to just have that structure an emotional structure for boundaries so that is what my book is all about is you know it's a workbook where it just kind of guides you through this process of identifying you know these thought patterns and then shifting them out so that it can pave that way for proper boundary setting
0: you know mm-hmm. So you you basically teach people how to create their own guided meditations within the book so that they are casting out those thoughts. So in that book, um, it's called
1: 30 Days of Belief Work Boundaries. And it's set up so that you just do, you you take out five negative beliefs a day and replace them with five positive beliefs. And I curated those beliefs. So I I just kind of said, okay, what what are the 150 top terrible beliefs that people have and like wrote them down and then wrote out how to fix them, basically. And so it's it's kind of like a written guided meditation. So each day it kind of walks you through like this is how to kind of slurp out that old belief like a spaghetti noodle right out of your head. And then this is how to kind of put in that new one. And it just has these little instructions and it, it's all laid out like very, um, in my opinion, it's simple, you know, and, um, and it's meant to just take a couple of minutes a day. Like if it takes more than 10 minutes a day, I feel like I have failed. My goal is really like two to five minutes a day where you can just sit down and just go through this list and start, you know, seeing for yourself. Do I resonate with that? Like, am I making some progress towards fixing these beliefs? And then they, you can just do it, you know, it, it's taken the guesswork out. So it doesn't teach about how to, you know, create the guided imagery kinds of things, but it's kind of like a done for you, if you will. Like you can just get it, you just read it and let just like do step one, do step two, do step three, and it'll take you two minutes. And then you just do it again tomorrow. And by the end of a month, um, I mean, I have just had a lot of stories from people that have been absolutely stunned at how easy and natural it was for them to set boundaries. That they never had before. And of course, sometimes it does ruffle some feathers because, um, of course, the more you need to set boundaries, the more people probably don't want you to because it will really shift up the dynamic. But when you're coming at it from a healthy way, um, you know, I feel like, you know, God wants us to have good boundaries. Like we can tune into that, that divine desire for us and ask for protection as we are setting these new boundaries. Like we can ask for guidance and how to make sure that our new boundaries are implemented as you know, perhaps gently as possible or without ruffling all the feathers like we can we can use our agency to ask for how we want this to look for us.
0: And uh how do we get a hold of you? Yeah, so
1: my name is Allie Duzet. It's A L L I E Duzet and um I run AllieDuzetteClasses.com. that's like my big hub where I have a bunch of by donation uh, of these guided imagery modules and then I have a couple that you know have a fixed price and if it's like a big program you know that kind of thing um but most of them are by donation I have a bunch of the free offerings in there that have classes and these like modules and stuff and then I have a big Facebook group called intuitive healing with Ali Douzette, which is very fun and I love it because um lately it's a big group I mean right now it has about 2200 people. But, um, you know, every couple of days we get a post that will say like, I never feel comfortable posting anywhere, but I feel safe in this group. And so I would really like to share this story with this group. And that just delights my heart to have curated this space with over 2000 people where new people are still feeling safe. Like everybody is just feeling safe there to share their heart. So I love that. Come find me on Facebook. And then I have a YouTube channel. It's just Ali Duzet, And so... Um, I'm always talking
0: about everything weird and awesome. So <laughs> it's very fun. Come hang out with me. <laughs> so great. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I do have one last question that it's just, I have to ask, and I'm going to keep it recording because maybe I'll keep this in, but have you ever read changing the habit or breaking the habit of being yourself by Joe Dispenza? I have not. Okay. So Joe Dispenza talks about how you can use meditation to access your subconscious brain, the subconscious, and that that's how you can reprogram a lot of these behaviors that are not serving you and overcome these false beliefs that we have adopted. And she, and, and so one second, I'm going to grab this because I don't want to, one second. okay because I want to actually I want to be accurate in how I share this but so for example, we have at the top we have our beta waves right which is our awake normal levels levels of alertness and then we have the alpha which is when you're relaxed your relaxed state is alpha and then we have theta and that's called the twilight state or the lucid state which is where we're like where we're waking up from our dreams and we can kind of feel like we're in this, subconscious world coming into the physical realm, but we're still in that space. And then Delta is when we're in deep sleep. And those four different places where the change happens is in that theta brainwave. Uh, that's that's like going into your subconscious. I've, I've read this. I listened to this book a few years ago, and then I've been doing the Brooke Snow Creation Coach Program. And she taught us this because she's been learning from Joe Dispenza. And the thing that was And then she walked us through a guided meditation and I was with an entire group and I went so deep. I'm not even aware. I'm not like, I am not conscious in my mind. Um, I get pulled out of it and I'm like, whoa, I feel like I just took a nap, but I didn't take a nap. I don't think Um, I could hear part of it, but then I like got so deep that I didn't hear it anymore. Anyway, based on training I've had on meditation by Emily Fletcher. I think her, is that her name? Anyway, another person, she, when I did her thing, she was like, that's when, you know, if you, if you think you didn't get, if you went into sleep or you feel like you kind of got out of the thing, that's actually good. You probably went to theta. You just didn't know you were in theta kind of a thing, but I'm like, so wait, how do we reprogram? Like once we're not conscious, like how are we reprogramming if we're that deep? Do you see what I mean?
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, I work with Theta all the time. And actually I think that is what happened to me. So, cause I have this degree in like the hard sciences and like this religious background. So I when my, when I first started perceiving people's emotions like this, I was like, okay, God, but for real, like, but really, what is this? And I found a bunch of scientific documentation on this, you know, it's considered parapsychology, but the United States government, you know, did have a, a psychic espionage program where they trained people to go into theta and, you know, remote view different things. And what the, what it is, basically what happened is I kind of, my default setting is in a theta state. I live in a, in a theta state and I'm speaking from almost a theta state, like a very low alpha state. And that's my default state now. And so that's what has happened. And it's been interesting because when people go through my modules, I have had, people trained in meditation see people going through my modules and say, "Oh my gosh, they are going into theta." Like they're just sitting there listening and you can tell that they have just changed brain state. And um I just got a letter today from this person who studies neurology and she said, "Oh my gosh, like these modules, it's just neurology, but it's applied neurology. You know, it just simplifies it and boils it right down." but this, this is a theta state. When you're, um, when you're doing this belief work, even when you're working through that workbook and doing the, the little pattern that I have in there, what you will be actually doing is you will be going into either a theta state or like a very low alpha state. The alpha state is from seven to 14 brainwaves or like eight to 14 brainwaves. And um, the theta brainwave is um, like four to seven brainwaves per second. And so I would say that probably when you do these things, you're you're sending your brain waves down low and probably between like six to nine. So like very low alpha or like, you know, theta. And so what happens is um, when people are going through my modules, sometimes they do fall asleep in quotation marks because they're not, they're going into theta, right? Um, and so the work is still happening. It is still being effective, For me, what I always tell them, though, is that I want them to keep working through it until they can listen to the whole thing without going into theta. Because I feel like it is it can be the subconscious mind's um, kind of default um, self-defense mechanism. When you have this belief that is so strong, your mind is like no, you know, hold your horses, hon. We are not giving that up yet. It's like, better go to sleep and like powers you down so that your conscious mind can't cooperate. Your conscious mind is just, they're like conscious mind to get out of this room. Like we don't want you in here. Like we're going to hunker down and, you know, do what we want back here. So I always have my own clients, like go through these modules until they can stay awake and until it feels neutral. You know, if they're going in there, cause they've had like you know, a traumatic abuse situation, I have modules about that, you know, if they're going under into this data state, you know, that's good and stuff is still happening. So that is a good thing. But that's also telling me, for me, I like it when they can go through the whole thing, not feel, not feel anything. They're just like, oh, I feel very neutral about this now. And I feel conscious about this and I feel like it's integrated and I can think about this consciously and from a conscious space. I'm like, oh it's resolved you know i feel like um when our brains kind of go into that theta state um because of that self defense mechanism um yeah again the work, work is still going on like it's still fine like you you're still getting stuff done for sure and so it's better to do that than to just not even give it a try or like you know you should never feel like you wasted time because you fell asleep during This kind of work. But I do personally encourage people to keep going until the conscious mind is also on board, till the subconscious mind isn't making you go down. And the conscious mind is like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Okay, we're done. But it's fully integrated. That's what I love.
0: That's really helpful. You are the first person that I've probably actually asked that question clear enough to that I could be like, hey, I don't really understand. And maybe I still don't make sense, but. For those of you, like for me, I've always been like, wait, you talk about the theta state and like that we want to get there, but if we're not conscious, then how do we even know that we're making difference? Like it doesn't, it doesn't, I guess it's never resonated with me that I've been like, I don't feel like that's changing me (laughs) or that there's something like some conscious, the conscious mind is not connected. And therefore, for some reason, it just feels like it doesn't work, but maybe that's just my perception.
1: So I have to, I have to keep going if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going. Me, This is the practical application. Okay. So we're going to back up for just one minute. So those beta states, that's when your brain, your brain waves are going like up and down to the tune of like 15 to 25 waves per second. Okay. 15 to 25. So that's like pretty fast. And then alpha is going to be from, you know, eight to 14. So it's slower. And then Um, theta is going to be four to seven. So that's quite slow. And then, you know, delta, you're almost dead. Like people don't go into delta for this kind of thing. Like you just don't, but your, your aim is theta for me as I was studying this. And when I realized like, oh my gosh, what happened is I like somehow ended up living my whole life in this, like, uh, like my default setting now is like eight brainwaves per second. And so I'm, I'm always kind of at this like slower level. So it's very easy for me to kind of go under. I'm still fully conscious and I can talk, but that's how I get all of the stuff for my meditations that I create is I I just dip down one degree of brainwaves per second, and then I can access all of this information. But all of that is the precursor to say, I believe, and you can pray about this for your own self. Everybody get your own revelation. I believe that this is the practical application of be still and know that I am God. This is scripture in action this is when we are taking this commandment what the heck what does that even mean be still and know that i'm god what we're supposed to sit there what is this like what is god actually saying to me i think he's speaking to our brains and saying calm it down man calm it down in a literal way you're gonna lower your brainwaves per second when you do that it is impossible to feel anxious in that space of a very low brain waves per second. It's very hard to feel depressed. You know, when you go down and you're slowing down the, the thought, it's not necessarily even the thought processes in your brain, but the brain waves in your brain, which sounds so complicated. How do I do that? Well, how you do it is things like breath work. And um, and you can just Google up breathwork or and or like doing these modules like I have on my website are they're designed to help you do that or this book it sounds like that book by Joe Dispenza like talks you through how to do that you know there's instructional things that help you slow it down but to me that that is what God is telling us to do He's saying you know get out of that busy frenetic way of thinking. You know, repent, change the way that you breathe. You're going to change the way that you breathe. You're going to slow down your brainwaves. And that is how you will be still and know that I am God. And that is when it's easy to make these, um, you know, these visualizing connections like we talked about earlier. Even if you don't make images, like I don't, like you don't, but you can think about these concepts and you're doing it in a way that comes from a space of internal stillness. And this is the kind of commandment that i felt like god was telling me to repent of i'm like be still and know that i'm god is definitely not a 10 commandment buddy you know but it still is a commandment. you know the the scriptures are full of commandments actually tons of them and we just mostly ignore them (laughs) unless we're saying okay god but for real i want to learn the lessons before it gets hard so yes i'm willing to take on these like weirder commandments like sure teach me how to be still and know that you are god Well, what if he teaches you that through meditation? What if he's teaching you that through learning to breathe a different way, the literal meaning of the word repent. So anyway, thanks for listening to my little rant on that. I'm so passionate about it, but I feel like this is scripturally based and I'm crazy about it.
0: That is so beautiful. I feel like when you access a new way of thinking, you see things that support the new way of thinking as well.